I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burden contains depictions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. On a warm August night in 1991, near Texarkana, Arkansas, a young mother named Billie Jean Letterman was watching TV with her six-year-old daughter. Her other daughter, who was only 18 months old, was sleeping in the next room. Her husband Michael came home, and like so many other nights, the two started to argue. On this night, it was about a camping trip. But unlike the other nights, this time, the fighting ended with Billie shot in the head. As the bullet pierced her skull and entered her brain, she dropped to the floor. Billy was still alive, but not for much longer. Michael Letterman didn't call 911 right away. He would explain later that he tried, but no one would answer. So he called his parents and his friends. He told them Billy had shot herself and he needed their help. Michael's mom, Liz Letterman, called 911. EMTs Danny Jewell and Norma King responded to the 911 call. They drove down a long country road in the dark, searching for the house. When they arrived and walked inside, they couldn't get to the young woman to assess her injuries. Her husband was lying on top of her. Norma King remembers the scene. When we got there, of course, everything was kind of chaotic, and all we knew was a, a gunshot wound to the head. It was said that it was self-inflicted, Danny Jewell says he was disturbed by how Billy's husband, Michael, was laying on her. This small girl, she's probably not 100 pounds. He's got to be over 200. His total weight is on her chest. So something was strange. Billy was indeed small. Just 105 pounds and barely over 5 feet tall. He says that in his experience, a person wanting to hug or comfort an injured person would be next to the body and not on the body. The way... Michael was acting and stuff, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, it was just ridiculous. He had his head over her head, acting like he's upset, acting like he's crying. No tears. He's trying to act the distraught husband. I didn't know the guy, but he just didn't impress me as somebody that was really upset, just trying to put on a show for 
the police or whatever. Danny and Norma needed to get to Billy. So I had to actually grab him, I think with the aid of one of the deputies, to pull him off of her so we could start administering our emergency procedures. She was still breathing and still had a pulse, so we didn't treat her as a code. If you look at her, it's just like she's in a uh, she's asleep. Her respiration is pretty much normal. Her pulse, heart rate was still pretty much normal. So other than starting the IVs, there was a whole lot, not a whole lot for us to do. They saw the small gunshot wound behind Billy's right ear, and there was a small amount of dried blood around it. They also noticed there was no exit wound and knew the bullet must still be in her brain. It just traveled around in there and just, you know, made much out of her brain, basically. But, but it did occur to me that where the gunshot went in was a little bit off. You know, I, I felt like that that was not consistent. It just didn't add up that if you're going to kill yourself, you would do it behind your ear. There were no signs of a struggle in the living room. Police observed a towel with a small amount of blood on the floor. The gun was on a throw rug a few feet away. Danny and Norma lifted Billy onto a stretcher and wheeled her out of the house. They put Billy inside the ambulance and went back inside to gather the rest of their gear. When they got back out, Michael had once again climbed on top of Billy. We were trying to get her in the ambulance, and of course we had protocols we have to follow. And he got in there before we did, hysterical. So the law enforcement had to pull him off her so I could at least get to her and start my treatment. They put him in the front seat of the ambulance, and he continued to be just erratic and out of control. And I, I said, get him out of here. You know, I can't do this. I didn't want him coming back there and interfering or causing something to happen, you know, that would endanger us. So they took him out, and, and we, you know, we went out to the hospital with just her. Danny couldn't believe he was seeing Michael on top of Billy yet again. In my view, it was an attempt to suffocate her or something to, to finish the job that he had uh, started. He was just all over her, you know, just, you know, trying to get her to wake up. And, and I don't recall it laying on her, but he could have. I mean, he was just, you know, he was hysterical. But neither Danny nor Norma reported the disturbing behavior. They said they were focused on treating Billy and filling out the medical report. Our reports are usually just aimed at the the medical side of the, the deal, and that wouldn't assist their treatment of the patient at that time. I didn't put any things that, in my written report as to my suspicions of Michael, but they were there and, and uh, very many suspicions. Danny says he thought it was strange that the police never came to question him about the events of that night. He doesn't understand why Michael has never been charged with anything in connection to Billy's death. And I was surprised. I mean, I just assumed after all those many years that perhaps he pled to manslaughter or something. I, I never thought the guy would ever get away with not some kind of charges at least being filed. Maybe they felt like they didn't have any questions for us, but, I, you know, not being a crime expert, our, our job was to treat the patient and uh, treat what we had. I'm Stephanie Harris. From Power of Pod Productions, this is Burden, a podcast about the heavy weight that people have been carrying for years because of the events of one night in 1991 that changed everything. It's about a young woman whose life was cut tragically short, an investigation that went terribly wrong, and a family left with many hard questions. 
Here's my co-host, Karen Trico-Stewart. Together we'll tell you what we've learned about what happened that night and in the years after Billy died. Michael Letterman was at the hospital with his parents and a few other family members. Michael got wet washcloths and towels from the nurses and started wiping off his hands and upper body. This matters because he could have been wiping away evidence. For example, gunshot residue testing is fairly common to find clues about who may have been holding the gun when the gun went off. Meanwhile, Billy's sister Melissa and her mom Jean arrived at the ICU along with Billy's best friend, Sarah. Seeing Billy motionless on the hospital bed was shocking and heartbreaking. They'd prepped Billy for surgery, even though they knew that her chances of survival were slim. Sarah says Billy's head was wrapped in gauze. You can see um, blood seeping through the uh, gauze. They couldn't even hold Billy's hand to comfort her because her hands were wrapped in paper bags. Hospital staff understood that it was important to preserve their condition for the gunshot residue testing later on. Medical staff also noted purplish-blue bruises on Billy's neck. Melissa remembers that. She had handprint bruises around her throat where he had been trying to choke her. You know, you can see the bruises. And when doctors looked through Billy's medical file, they saw that her jaw had been broken not too long ago. Sarah knew Michael was abusive. She'd seen bruises on Billy before. For the most part, Billy didn't want to talk about it. But Sarah says there was one time that she opened up about what she was going through with Michael. Sarah says she'll never believe that Billy shot herself. I really had no doubt in my mind that he shot her. Because I do remember talking to Billy one time. I said, Billy, why don't you just leave him? Why don't you leave? And she said, he told me if I left, that he would kill me. So she was deathly afraid of him killing her. Melissa says she couldn't even look at Michael or his family when they were at the hospital. We in our hearts, we knew what had happened. Back at the house, Sergeant Don Nix of the Miller County Sheriff's Department arrived at the scene. The house was empty by that time. He wrote in his notes that it seemed clean and in order, and that he saw no signs of a struggle. So he headed to the hospital to find Michael. When Nix got there, he walked over to Michael to get his account of what happened to Billy how she ended up with a bullet in her head. But Michael became so hysterical that he had to be sedated by an ER nurse. When he calmed down, Nix tried to ask questions again. He got a little bit of information from Michael. Michael said he and Billy had been arguing and that there had been a struggle over the gun. According to Nix, family members started jumping in at this point and telling Michael to stop talking. And he did. And despite being sedated, Michael once again became hysterical. Sergeant Nix wrote in his report that night, The suspect became totally incoherent at this point, and any efforts to obtain information from him were discontinued. 
In a phone conversation shortly before he died, Nix talked about that night at the hospital and his struggles with the Letterman family. He says he felt the Lettermans were getting in the way of trying to get to the truth. This recording is hard to understand, and the fact that Nix was sick at the time was also a challenge. We'll repeat him for clarification. The whole family stonewalled this whole thing from a get-go. At the hospital, in fact, I threatened to arrest the whole family. The whole family stonewalled this whole thing from the get-go, Nix said. At the hospital, I had to threaten to arrest the whole family. Michael left the hospital while Billy's condition continued to deteriorate. She was brain dead, and a decision needed to be made about taking her off of the life support. The doctor asked Billy's mother what she wanted. Here's Billy's sister, Melissa, again. I remember Mama, and she told him, she said, you know what, I brought her into school, and I'm going to be the one to decide to take her out of it. It was the only decision left to make about Billy's future, and Sarah says Billy's mother wanted to make it. She said, take her off, but I want to take it off before that son of a bitch gets here. So she was taken off the bench. We all got to go in and see her one last time. A local deputy prosecutor made the decision not to allow Billy's organs to be harvested for transplant donation. Her body would be sent to the crime lab for further investigation. It had been 13 hours since Billy was shot in the head. She was pronounced dead at 11.55 a.m., on Tuesday, August 13th, 1991. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, Things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. His plans were being made to take Billy off the ventilator. Across town, Michael walked into the sheriff's office to give a statement, as he'd been ordered to do by police. He spoke with lead investigator Sergeant Don Nix, and Deputy Greg Castile of the Miller County Sheriff's Office. There's no recording of the interview that we found, but there is a transcript. So we're using voice actors to recreate parts of the conversation. We also tried not to make Michael's part exaggerated. We have no idea what he sounded like, and we want to be fair to him in this retelling. Where you hear mumbling or the voice actor is unclear, those are parts that are transcribed as incoherent. 
Today's date is August the 13th, 1991. Sergeant Don Nix, Miller County Sheriff's Department, in the room with me is Investigator Greg Castile of Miller County Sheriff's Department and Michael Wayne Letterman. This being Mr. Letterman's statement in regards to the shooting of his wife, Billie Jean Letterman, at approximately 10.30 on August 12th, 1991, in Miller County, Arkansas. State your name for the tape. Michael Letterman. Nix had to tell him repeatedly to get a hold of himself throughout the interview. Michael told the investigators that he had worked all day and got home while it was still light out. When he got home, he said he sent the kids to bed and sat on the couch to watch TV with Billy. As they often did, Michael and Billy got into an argument. You argued for a while, is that correct? Well, we laid there on the couch. It was for a while just sort of discussing stuff, and, and then we just started getting mad at each other. Well, tell us what happened. At what point did the gun come into play? That, that is when I think, yeah. All right, well, tell us about that. That is when it come in because I was wanting to leave. I wanted to try to leave... I'll get mad and I'll leave. I'll use that as an excuse to leave or something. All right. Tell us how the gun came to be. Uh, I remember kicking it. Well, did you get the gun? Uh, I don't know. Where was the gun at, Mike? Uh, I don't know either. We'd be shooting it with the last couple of days, but we keep it out of the way for the kids and move it up. Seems like it was by the TV. Okay. At the corner of the living room on the TV or by the TV. Okay. Tell us about getting the gun. I don't know who picked it up. I remember kicking it. Okay, what do you mean you kicked it? Uh, it was on the floor, and I kicked it over there toward her. Did you say anything to her then? I told her to pick it up and shoot me. Okay. Uh, she told me to get out. She said something, something crazy. It was something like we were both unhappy. And she said we weren't happy no more. And, uh, we went into the bathroom, yeah. I think she was in the bathroom when... Uh, I don't know where the gun went, you know, it ended up on the couch. It was sitting on the couch. Nixon Castile asked Michael repeatedly during the interview where the gun was before he kicked it. He never did say who got the gun out or where it was before he kicked it toward Billy. A lot of what Michael says in this interview doesn't make much sense, but he tells Nix that he had been headed for the door and she had the gun in her hand. He said he turned to go back toward her as she was turning the gun. You remember she had it in her right hand or her left hand? Uh, uh, not not really. I remember coming from the door, intended to leave. You go back towards her? I was going towards her when she was turning the gun. Did she say anything? We was both talking. I was walking towards her from the door. I remember the gun started turning, then, uh, then I picked her up off the couch. Okay, she was on the couch when the gun started turning when she had the gun in her hand. She was, yeah, I believe she was still sitting down. All right, you started back for her. Did you try, did you try to get the gun? I believe I did. I believe I reached up for the gun or something. Okay, did you get her, get to her and reach for it before the gun went off? I wasn't trying, you know, and all of a sudden I was just trying to get it. I think I can't, you know. Okay, you was trying to get the gun when it went off? Yeah. Had you reached her? I mean, could you, were you right there with her or just? I don't remember. I just remember going over there and trying to just pick her up and I couldn't carry her, just I laid her down. When the gun went off, was you trying to get the gun? Was there a struggle? Did she try to jerk the gun away from you or did you try to jerk the gun away from her or? 
I, I don't know. I was just right there. Did you have a hold of the gun when it went off? I'm not sure. I don't know if I grabbed it yet or what. Uh, I don't know. Michael never commits to exactly what was happening at the moment the gun fired. He said he tried to call 911, but no one answered, so he called his parents. He also called his friends Mark Choate and Charles Glover. He told them all that Billy had shot herself. When the investigators asked Michael where the gun came from, he said he borrowed it from someone to go camping. Where'd you borrow it from? Uh, his name is Doug. Doug Hartman, a good friend of Charlie Glover's. Uh, we was uh, going camping at uh, down by the thing, and uh, he had this gun. I, I don't. I didn't have one, and I like to go camping out and have one. We all shooting stuff, and so I borrowed his gun, and uh, that's where I got the gun from. Well, I'd had it. We had been camping the week before. Okay, did the gun have a holster with it? Uh, he gave me a holster. Was the gun in the holster when it was on the TV set? Uh, I don't think so, because uh, I'd been out on the back porch shooting. I don't think I had it in the... I don't think I had ever put it back in the holster. Michael continued to assert that he did not know where the gun was when they started arguing. He thought it was by the TV, but it got moved around a lot because every time he would lay it down, Billy would move it out of the reach of the girls. Deputy Greg Castile joins in on the questioning. You say you kicked the gun towards her, so you must have been holding it? Huh? You said you kicked the gun towards her. I remember kicking it across the floor. It was laying on the floor, and I looked down and seen it, and I just hauled off and I kicked it over across the floor. Where were you standing when you kicked it? I don't know. I was in the living room. We was in the living room. Did you throw it on the floor? I don't remember. I just remember seeing it on the floor. Just looked down, and I seen it on the floor, and I kicked it over there where she was at. She picked it up? Ugh. Let me think. Before it went off... It was on the couch. On the couch. Did she ever pick the gun up? I think she picked it up and dropped it on the couch because I had kicked it. It might have been loaded. I think a few minutes later. I don't know. Then Castile shifts gears and asks again what they'd been fighting about. He said the electric bill for one, but also camping in the rent. He characterized it as more of a discussion than argument. He said Billy was worried about the power company's threats to turn off their electricity. He kept promising her he'd pay the bill, but he hadn't been working much. I can't remember. I, I think that's what we was talking about. I, I think that's what got me to not getting along, uh, bitching about the electric bill. When asked if he'd ever hit Billy, Michael admitted that they had slapped each other before. He said the police had to be called once because he tried to leave, but she wouldn't give him his things. Michael also said Billy's jaw had been broken when she fell off the back steps. Michael said that day he'd been fishing with their neighbor, Chris Johnson. When it got dark, Michael returned home and noticed a lot of blood on the white kitchen countertop. He started yelling for Billy and found her in the bathroom, leaning over the sink. I asked her what had happened, and she kept saying, tooth something, about her tooth, and... So when she opened her mouth, it was cracked down through, like, right here, and, and it scared me to death. And my kids and stuff, I, I didn't know what to do with my kids. So I took off running. She's bleeding real bad, and I, I took off. I run next door over Chris Johnson's house, and I told him I had an emergency. I said, come, please watch my kids. They come over there, and I loaded Billy up, and I took her to the hospital, and... Uh, 
When did this happen? I was been, oh, I'm going to say seven months. She wore a jaw wired up for a long time. So uh, she wore that jaw wired up for, I guess, two months. And they've been open like, you know, I guess I'm not sure how long it's been. It's been several months ago when she done that. Did you hit her and break her jaw? No, sir, I didn't. I just told you I came home and found her like that. How'd you find out she fell down the steps? She told me that day. It's been several months ago? I guess it's been several months ago. Once again, Greg Castile goes back to the gun. Once again, he gets few details. We're going to let you hear the rest of the interview here. Unfortunately, it doesn't last much longer. Mike, getting back to last night, where were you at when you kicked the gun? Standing in the living room. By the door? Uh, I don't know if I was by the door or if I was over. I was somewhere. I'm not sure where I was when I kicked that gun. Mike, did you shoot your wife? No, sir. I did not shoot my wife. Who was holding the gun when the gun went off, Mike? I done answered that question. What'd you say? Uh, what I told you when the gun went off, I, I don't remember what I said. Now just ease up. I won't speak to my daddy. Calm down, son. You're going to be all right. Calm down. Can I speak to my daddy now, please? Just a minute. Does that mean you want to stop the interview? I don't know. I just, I just want to speak to my daddy again. All right. If you want to stop the interview, we'll stop it. I don't like to ask me that. Now, son, we got to ask that, and I told you that when we started this, okay? And you, your daddy's told you. We got to find out what happened, and that's what this is always about. Man, this is killing me, man. Like I told you a while ago, we weren't there, you were, and we're looking to you for answers, okay? We don't want to make you think we're mad or pointing the fingers at you or anything. We're just looking for answers. We have to find out. You're the only one that was there, and we've got to ask the questions, and they've got to be asked. I'm trying. Okay, I know you are. I know you are, so just, you're doing all right. Can I speak to my daddy? All right. Please let me speak to my daddy, please. That's my daddy. This is going to be the end of the interview. The time is 10.44 a.m. And that was that. Billy would be dead an hour later. The local newspaper ran an article that morning with the headline, Officials Probe Death of Shooting Victim. Deputies Make No Arrests. Nix told the media he was waiting on autopsy results for more information on Billy's death. He said, Right now, it's unclear what happened. As to who fired the shot, we don't know. Two days later at the crime lab, an autopsy was being performed on Billy. No traces of drugs or alcohol were found in her system. She was generally a healthy young woman who didn't appear to have any notable underlying medical conditions. The gun and Billy's clothing were also at the crime lab, ready to be tested. The medical examiner filled out Billy's death certificate. For the cause of death, he wrote, gunshot wound to the head. There's also a space for the medical examiner to weigh in on what's called the manner of death. That means the circumstances that led up to the death. There are five categories listed. A natural death. Suicide. Homicide. Accident. Or undetermined. The medical examiner chose undetermined. That means he thinks there's not enough information to choose one manner of death over another. It was obviously not a natural death, but all other options were left on the table. But remember the two little girls who were in the house that night? One was only a year and a half and the other six? 
Well, that six-year-old girl was Michael's stepdaughter, Ashley. And that little girl would grow up to become a woman determined to let everybody know that she saw what happened that night. She would make sure that her mom would not be forgotten. She would make sure people knew the truth about Michael Letterman. Mom didn't kill herself. It was murder. Visit BurdenPod.com for more information about this show. That's BurdenPod.com. There you can contact us, sign up for our mailing list, or see photos of the people featured in the podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at BurdenPod. Subscribe to Burden in your favorite podcasting app, and please take a moment to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podchaser. It really helps us out. We're also on Patreon, where you can purchase a monthly subscription and access bonus content, like extended video interviews, Billy's case files, photos of the house where Billy was shot, and a collection of family photos. If you know anything about this case, please let us know. What you send in will not be shared unless we have your permission. We know there were witnesses from that night who have not wanted to talk. If you change your mind, we still want your insight. If you or someone you know needs help, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-7233 or text START to 88788. Stay safe and until next time. Hi, this is Kristen. And this is Jen from My Mom So Hard. And we're here to talk about By Heart. Do you remember when you were nursing and you were like, I want to give the best thing I can to my baby? Well, we've got that for you. It's called By Heart. And it is a infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Curious about By Heart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with code MOMS20 for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. Tell my mom so hard sent you. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast. And I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.